Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 323. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Me too. Just coming off my vacation week. How was your week off? Yeah, it's good. Did you finish Iron Fist? I did not. I'm, I'm <laughs> two episodes from finishing. I just oh. I got I interspersed it with some spring cleaning this week and mm. just had a lot going on, so I just didn't quite get to it, but I have a feeling I'll have it done by next week for sure. So I feel like I got two episodes left. Yeah. I think it ramped up. I keep watching the Rotten Tomatoes page that had what was it, thirteen percent when it started out. Yeah. It's up to it was up to seventeen a few days ago. I was hoping that more people got all the way through it that that number would go up, and it just doesn't seem to be climbing. But the show got a lot better. And like I say, I haven't hated it, but it's, I know some people didn't continue with it because they didn't like it. So See, much. I I've heard multiple people say that it gets better as it goes, and I've had multiple people tell me I got one or two episodes in and gave up because I didn't care. I think the problem is it's remarkably different, and its setup had to be different from the other Netflix Marvel properties. But if you give it a chance, I think I, I think it got much better after uh, episode four, and just continued to go up from there. So, and it's it started to feel more dark and gritty like the the other ones. But the the first few were just a little too bubblegum, I think, for some people. Mm. So I would suggest anybody that's starting it to stick with it and give it a fair shot because I think it, it does get good. The, uh, the villains are still a little bit two-dimensional, but I think it's working out a lot better now. So. Hmm. I finished The Princess Diarist, Carrie Fisher's autobiography. Good. Third or fourth autobiography. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good. It's real good. And Get, one of my concerns got was, better as it went? Well, there's it, it's really good at the beginning, and it's really good at the end. The problem is in the middle, she dropped in some actual diary entries from the oh. time, from 1977, 78, somewhere around there. And they were very stream of consciousness and really kind of... Eh, but it, that didn't last very long. It's it's just a little middle section of the book, and then she comes back and starts talking about things again. It is. It's, it's very interesting. Mm. We watched two movies this week. What you watch? This weekend, actually. We watched uh, Foster Florence Jenkins, the Meryl Streep mm. bad singer movie. Oh, right, right. It wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. It's kind of sad, actually. Because, you know, she doesn't recognize that she's a bad singer, and so it's everyone either making fun of her behind her back or other people trying to protect her from being made fun of. So it's kind of a bittersweet kind of movie. It's really well done. Simon Helberg, also known as Howard Wallowitz, did a really good job in it. Hmm. It, was, it was really good. Hugh Grant? Hugh Grant did a pretty good job, too. He was kind of Hugh Grant-ish. What was the other thing you watched? We watched Heller High Water. Oh, the... Uh, the uh, Oscar-nominated yeah. Chris Pine movie. How was that? It was really good. Really well done. It's a very different movie for what we normally watch, but... Really, really good. See, here I was just thinking to myself that I'm glad you're part of this group because you come to the table with the, I watched this Oscar-nominated film, and, <laughs> and I'm coming with, I watched Thunderbirds Are Go <laughs> with the Marinettes and, you know. Nothing wrong with that one. No? Billy didn't like it. Yeah. Something wrong with Billy. <laughs> Did you watch anything else besides that? We're one episode away from finishing Next Gen, wow. season, season six. Oh. We still got another season after that, but been tearing through that, and we finished Penny Dreadful season two. And I wish to go on record now for any of the times on the podcast in the past where I may have been a tad disparaging of Billy Piper as an actress in her portrayal of Rose. 
because I've come to the conclusion that I really don't like Rose. She's fine. She was a great intro companion. It was what it was. I've grown beyond her. I just, I, I go back and watch Rose episodes now and go, hey, it's just it. It's, it's apparent how much of a child she is. Maybe that's it. She is such a phenomenal actress in Penny Dreadful. Mesmerizing. Every scene she's in is, yeah, I, I, can't, I cannot say enough good about her on Penny Dreadful. She is so good. And what started as a character that I kind of thought was, you're not going to be around long, because you know, <laughs> he's just kind of one of these background things, to where they take her at the end of season two is, is you, 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 I know you're not watching this one either, Glenn. You need to watch Penny Dreadful. Oh, it's on my list. You need to watch Penny Dreadful. So we, we finished season it's two. It's on my ever-mounting list. Yeah, no lie. <laughs> but yeah, that was about it. I thought just seeing her in Day of the Doctor, she had matured as an actress as far as yeah. how her performance is just phenomenal in that. We celebrated Mason's birthday today, which is actually tomorrow, but we had a uh, party for him this morning with Collie's family, and then we had a party at my folks' house today with my family, and then, uh, but for, for the first party, because the his aunt and uncle were getting her, him another piece of something we got, we went in and gave him our present today, which was Lego Dimensions. Oh! So... Between parties, Mason and I played the first two levels of the starter pack. What did you think? It's fun. It's it's very much like a Lego game. Oh yeah. Um, and it was it was really kind of cool to build the portal, although it took us forever because I let him do a lot of it. He's a bit slow at it, but uh, <laughs> I guided him through it. And we did it. That that's a neat element of it. I like that. Uh, then we got to the Batmobile after the twenty minutes of building the portal, and then went, oh my gosh, we got to build something else. <laughs> But luckily that didn't take very long. But that's the one thing. Like the portal, I thought, oh, we're going to mess something up and have to back up. Because every once in a while you back up three pages and you realize you put the wrong piece somewhere. Yeah. This one we put it up like from the get-go. We grabbed the wrong piece. So we'd go back and redo that one. But it, that only took us like two or three minutes to put together. But that being said. Dear Lego, your instructions suck. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've always thought Lego instructions are very good because they're no. very basic and they're very visual. I just, oh, yeah. I they're, vi- they're visual and they're basic. Sometimes, sometimes. two. Because yeah. it's like, I'm looking at that going, is that a onesie or a twosie? Because I can't tell because it's too small. the colors are too close together. The colors are too close together. See, any number of things. Even though it's never this close that close on There's something that Mason ankle. pointed out to me. I always struggled with the gray and the black, telling what they are. And he said, Dad, the black always has a white outline. And I looked at it and I said, oh my God, the black has a white outline. Really? Yes. I'll have to look at that Every when I put together time. my uh, Fantastic Beast set. I, I went back and looked at the books because he, I thought maybe it was just on the because you know it's the video manual. I thought it was. A, I went back and looked at one of his books and sure enough, the blacks are all pin lined out in white. Huh. Huh. I did not know that. That being said, it's a fun game. I'm enjoying it immensely. I don't like moving the characters all over the little thing. That's yeah, it's, that's a bit ridiculous. I mean, we moved them a lot, and luckily I had Mason there because I'm a, when I'm a gamer, I don't want to. I don't play Connect because I don't want to get a move. And so <laughs> I want to sit there and play. And so now I'm going to have to figure out how, when I play by myself, move the base closer to That's me what I wound up doing is I had I set up a TV tray. Because I, I have a, our couch and then a TV tray with, has my laptop on it. And then I set up a TV tray beyond that to put the dimensions and push the couch forward. So all I would have to do is lean forward, move the person in. Yeah. Originally had it on a little box in front of the PlayStation, not realizing how often I have to move them. Yeah. So I was getting up every five minutes or so to go clear across the living room. That's an element of the game that I'm of two sides. I appreciate it because it adds something. It adds a dimension to it that, uh, <laughs> that, that uh, you know, Skylanders and Disney Infinity never had. On the flip side, I just think you have to do it far too often. And, well, and so. once you get into it, some of the things they have you do is really clever. 
of how they make you move them around the base. And the reasoning for it. Yeah. Initially, I thought, this is kind of weird, and then later it made more sense of how they used it. The TV tray is a great idea until you have it set up at the couch with the thing there so that you can just do this, and the cord is stretched across the room, and your idiot brother-in-law comes traipsing downstairs to borrow a movie and yanks it oh, I'm... across <laughs> out I'm of getting, the court. My, my benefit is it's along a wall. I'm getting an extension, and I'm running that thing permanently around the side of the living room. There you go. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Keith gave me the Back to the Future, the Ultimate Visual History written by Michael Klastorin and Randall Adamonet. I shouldn't have even bothered with that. <laughs> read, got, the, read the forward and afterward, people. That's more impressive. I got this book. and um, Yeah, it's got a forward by Michael J. Fox, the preface by Christopher Lloyd, introduction by Bob Gale, and an afterward by Robert Zemeckis. And it's a it's lot of introductions. To a lot book. of introductions. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's one of those big coffee table books, and it's kind of the complete history of the Back to the Future trilogy, which I love. And the book is phenomenal, and I finished reading it this week already. In a week. I mean, in a week, I went through the whole book. Admittedly, there's, you know... Big pictures. Big pictures. <laughs> Fantastic book. They went into the archives and pulled all kinds of, uh, you know, from all of the filmmakers and the, the, the pictures and behind the scenes and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. And I'm extremely happy to have this because I, I put it on my Amazon wish list and then he got it for me. And cool. it's a lot of it is stuff that I knew. A lot of it is stuff that I, I didn't know all of, oh. you know. So there were there were still plenty of stories that I pulled out of it and didn't know. <laughs> the, the Western bit where they're stringing him up, Michael's on a box, and he's kind of leaning forward like this to get the rope to be taut. And Zemeckis asked him, can you, can you sway and kind of make it look like you're dangling? Fox said, well, not unless my feet are dangling. But he says, I think if I put my hands up like this through the rope, then you can do it. You can pull the box away, and you get the, the whole bit. So they went and he did it, and he had his hands up there, and the rope pulled taut, and it pushed his knuckles against his carotid artery, and he passed out. Oh. <laughs> and he says, you know, I cut off the blood flow to my brain for 10 seconds. I was unconscious on the end of this rope. The stunt guy recognized it and cut him down. Zemeckis just thought I was a really good actor. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the things you don't get on the DVD special features. No, it's not. But yeah, so thank you, and You're Sarah, because I'm I'm very 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 ecstatic to to have that, and yeah, I blew through it. <laughs> Good. So I did. Well, I did. I didn't mention it last week, and I felt bad. So I'm gonna mention it this week. Now that I've read it, I feel like yeah, I you can about really it. appreciate it. Yeah, and I do. Our first bit of news is out of Planet Comic Con. They have announced some more Doctor Who guests. We, in addition to Billy Piper and John Barrowman, there's John Barrowman. That's who it was, and now Catherine Tate's and. Spencer Wilding. Woo! We'll be there. It'd be nice to see Spencer again. Hopefully yeah. he remembers us. <laughs> <laughs> Alan saw him recently when he came for the Petland pet pet thing, and he said he remembered him. Oh, good. So. He seemed like a really nice guy. He was. Well, Very I mean, genuine. I know he was a nice guy, but he seemed like he <laughs> would remember people like that. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. So that's exciting. So if you missed your chance to see Monster Man, Spencer Wilding... When he was here at TopCon, you can go see him at Planet Comic Con. And, this and now it's f- officially, he's Darth Vader. So. Yeah. And this is one of the very few U.S. conventions that Catherine Tate does. I think that's a huge get for them. It is. This is only have. her second one. Because there's one other one coming up, right? Yeah, there's one in, I want to say it's a Fan X or Fan Expo or something, but it's one in, in Dallas. Yeah. I think it's Dallas. Dallas or Houston, somewhere in Texas. 
but this is the second one mm -hmm. that she's done here in the U.S. Our other bit of news comes from our good friends over at the Candy Jar Books. They are having an open submission for a limited period, so you can submit writings to be considered to write for the Lethbridge-Stewart range, like Sean did. So for a very limited period until April 29th, they're opening their short story range to everybody. All you have to do is send in one line idea and a short story you've written. Any short story, as long as it's a finished piece. So the editors can gauge your writing ability. So there are some things they are not looking for, so go to their website to read that list if you want to submit something. Please, please, please follow their directions. Yes. And make it easy on our friends at Candy Jar. Read the rules. And they say all pitches will be answered regardless of acceptance. And there are also a list of things they are looking for in addition to not looking for. If you're interested in doing that, go ahead and feature it. What do you think, Glenn? Submit can you get the Shaka Doctor story uh, done in time? <laughs> that would be good would count. Can you, can you rewrite it so that it's not... Uh, uh, I don't know that it would work. <laughs> not, not sure I could rewrite it and not include the purpose of writing the story. <laughs> I also had one other thing that I wanted to pass along. Our friends at uh, Time 83 are running a contest right now, and the prizes are pretty good. You can win not one, but two autographed pictures. One is of a signed one of Peter Davison, the Fifth Doctor, and the other is uh, Terry Malloy, who played Davros. And uh, both of these photos were signed at Time 82 last year. And so you can enter the contest by going to Time Eddie's Facebook page. You can like the page, share the post, the original post from their page, but multiple shares won't help you win. So it doesn't hurt, but it won't help you win. <laughs> uh, the last day to enter the contest is May 27th at midnight central time. So be sure to get those in there. Winners will be announced on Sunday, May 28th. Oh, quick turnaround. Free contest. Yeah. Free contest and a way for Time Eddie to get a little more recognition from you. That's right. And our last bit of news is that we are featured in another podcast. Yes. That just came out. We are? We are. When did this happen? <laughs> we recorded a little special for Blue Box Podcast, right? Glenn? You were there. Yes. It's uh, Starburst Magazine's Blue Box Podcast. Uh, what they did for their 250th podcast, and this is also their fifth year of podcasting, uh, they decided to do a little something special. Instead of patting themselves on the back, they wanted to take that opportunity to give a chance to other podcasts uh, to maybe get some recognition that they didn't get from, from listeners in other areas. So uh, among the submissions are uh, podcasts like uh, Flashing Blade, I think, is one. Uh, Radio Free Scarrow is definitely one of them. Uh, and we're featured in there as well. Uh, we submitted a about 13-minute mini-podcast. You should... I, I guess you could call it. And it is content that you will not hear on this show. You do have to go to the Blue Box podcast and subscribe or download at least that episode to hear that. Everybody did that. They did a little something exclusive to Blue Box. It's kind of the idea is to get a sample of podcasts that maybe you don't listen to. Maybe you've heard of them. You're familiar with them, but you haven't listened to them. You don't know what they're about. This gives you a little chance to listen to little bits and pieces of podcasts uh, Kind of in their own format, but miniaturized. Yeah. So be sure to go out and check that out. I will warn you, it is a four-hour-long podcast now because <laughs> they had probably between 15 and 20 submissions. So, But you can go out there and, and take a listen there as well. And like I say, even if you listen to us and you know that you like us and you listen to us, <laughs> you can still go there and download that and you'll hear something new from us. Yeah, that, free uh, content. You won't hear on content. the show. And thank you, Blue Box, for the opportunity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. And now I kind of feel like a schmo. Because when our 250th rolled around, it was all about us. <laughs> <laughs> as well as our 300th and, and our, our 350th will be. <laughs> no, 350, pledge drive. Still, still all about us, but pledge drive. Pledge drive. Yeah. No, that's in 
27 episodes. <laughs> but but I've, been trying, working to, on I've been trying to get it in for the last 27 episodes, so maybe by then I'll get it. You're preaching to the choir. I've already said yes. <laughs> Why haven't you put on the schedule? You're the schedule maker. Okay, because we're not at 350. <laughs> Duh. But that's why I that's why I set a target because I think maybe if I set a target that'll become the the, the norm. Is that what you're waiting on to come? I've been waiting on you to come to me with more than just I want to do a pledge drive. I've been waiting for content, and this is how I think we should structure oh, it. And all this no, I just, no, I, I come if up I with I put the, it on the schedule the, and force you to do it, then the you'll be ready. Drive, and you come up with content. That's no. how this works. I record. <laughs> I edit. That's my Wait, new job. I conceptualize. You edit. That means Keith comes up with the content. Have you done Since the check? Look at well, he, he had that look like hmm, it was either headlight. going to be. I have no idea that I want to do that, or it could have been challenge accepted. <laughs> I think the I look... find out at 350. <laughs> I personally think the look was, I'm too young to know what a pledge drive is. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. They still do them, but he doesn't watch PBS that no, much. I, I sure. really don't. What's a pledge drive? That'll probably change soon. You can be watching more uh, PBS soon? Yeah, once the baby comes. Oh, I guess, yeah. There's some good <laughs> Once, good she, once she gets old enough to want to watch TV. And on the bright side, since they've cut all of the arts funding, you'll get more pledge drives. <laughs> <laughs> I can do more research. That's true. Although Actually, there are a lot more pledge drives now than when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, it was once a year. And then it went to like twice a year. And then it went to once every quarter. <laughs> I remember and quarterly. now it's like once a month. Ooh. Quarterly, twice a year. Well, unfortunately, in 27 weeks, uh, she's not going to be old enough to watch TV. No, sure not. <laughs> and I remember that for as many of those pledge drives as I sat through, I have yet to get a Doctor Who disappearing TARDIS mug. <laughs> How much did you send for that mug? Yeah, it in 60 bucks. That was my problem as a kid. I never had 60 bucks yeah, to send in for it. exactly. You didn't send the money in. It's not their fault I didn't have the money. It's my, <laughs> stole it. I'm not blaming them. It's totally my it fault I didn't have the money. It sounded like you were trying to blame them. I'm still waiting, like waiting on my mug. I'm still like waiting like on my mug. It no, I'm, I, it's not their fault. It's, I I'm, gave them 60 bucks and they didn't send me a they mug. They me. I think even as a kid I thought, that mug's not worth $60. <laughs> <laughs> Especially it's now cool. that you can go buy it at the store. It's cool and all. But as an adult... You know that mug's not worth $60, but you know that $60 is worth going to those art. Uh, those it's true. Shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you're right. As a kid, you're like, that mug's not worth it. Even as a kid, I well, because I didn't drink coffee as a kid either. So <laughs> What? Who doesn't drink? Actually, I didn't. But you know what? He probably did. <laughs> how, how, how old are we talking? Yeah. Keith came out of the womb with a cup of coffee. <laughs> I think I started drinking coffee in middle school. Oh, my gosh. They said it was going to stop my growth. Obviously, it didn't. No. I think that's an old wives' tale. <laughs> it really is. Keith, you're the shortest of us. No, he's not. <laughs> yes, he he's is. He's taller than me. Well, you have breakdancing injuries, so. <laughs> <laughs> Move along. Move along. Notice he can't. Defend that. Just, <laughs> he can't argue against can't that. can't argue it. He just wants to move along and brush it under the carpet and not talk about it anymore. Okay. I'm not ashamed of my breakdancing. <laughs> I can't do it now, but I'm not ashamed of it. I don't know if we have a pledge drive. <laughs> Content. <laughs> that, could be, that could be a goal. You would have to video it because I think people would watch that. Yep. Me trying to breakdance. I'd probably break a hand. Facebook Live it. I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, we could do it at Planet Comic Con. Great Traveling the Vortex Quiz Show. You and Glenn will break dance. I will do the worm. We'll do the pledge drive, and I will do the worm live on Facebook, and we'll put it on uh, YouTube as well. I'll do. I'll do the worm. Okay. I, right. It probably will right not here. be 
done well, and I may be in the hospital afterwards. But uh, we'll save that for the end of the, of the pledge drive, <laughs> in case you yeah we got to get it to go on. Now, I'm not going to do like I did as a kid, dive into the worm. I'm going to start on the floor, pro. <laughs> What's the difference at this point in your career? What's the difference between the worm and a push-up? <laughs> Not much now. <laughs> it may look like a push-up. It may look like a... a you got to move forward a little bit. indulged right? push-up is what I, Well, we'll see. I'm not saying I'm going to be successful. I'm just saying I'm going to do one. <laughs> you don't I'll, I'll bring the worm. You bring the move box. <laughs> okay. All right. You heard it here. Any music you request to do the worm to? Can you do the worm to the Doctor Who thing? I might be able to. I wonder if we could find like There's a, a disco version out there. Uh, not disco. Well, let's find a hip hop version of it. Um, I mean, let's let's stay within our realm. You know, th- that was the 80s, not the 70s, Keith. I know oh, that you were yeah. born after both of these eras, but I was born in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't remember them. No. I was break dancing when you were in the womb. <laughs> Drinking coffee. Drinking coffee in the womb. Drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a dated round. <laughs> yeah, he was around by then. I got that one. He got that one. Our first bit of feedback comes from Ben. Ben writes, feedback, feedback. Sung to the feedback. Hey guys, I'm off work today, Thursday, and consequently am listening to the show while I try and repair the home. It's a constant state of disarray and due in large part to the fact that my boys, age 11 and soon to be 15, have no idea how to pick up after themselves. So while I am cleaning the house on my day off, at least I have you guys to entertain me while I do so. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you knowing that because now I don't feel so bad about not getting the episode out (laughs) earlier in the week. It allowed you to have something to listen to while you clean the house. He continues, moving on, Keith, no, I don't believe that Peter Davison was being tongue-in-cheek with that list of his. He made it clear enough, to me at least, that he finds those who view Tom as their doctor to be irritating. I think the nail was hit on the head when Sean mentioned that Peter and others were perhaps miffed at being in Tom's shadow. In fact, Peter mentions that very fact in his own way just a little bit. I don't want to say much more for fear of spoiling the book. Also, please don't think that I now hate Peter, just the opposite. He may not be my doctor, but I've always liked his work. I was mostly just disappointed that he seems to judge people the way he does. This makes a bit more sense when you read the book and just get to know his background. Pyramids was a nice little read after Peter's book, uh, yet to not enjoy a target novelization. At this moment, I am nearly done with first generation and will be done before your next episode airs. Of the Who autobiographies I've read thus far, I think this one is my favorite. Mary Tam's life to the point I am at in the book has been very interesting. I can't wait to hear her story in second generation. I think after the Mary Tam twofer, I'm going to take a shortish break from biography slash autobiographies and move back to the fiction section as it were. The Star Wars Aftermath trilogy I think will be next, followed by A Dance with Dragons. That one has me a bit sad though because George R.R. Martin is still working on The Winds of Winter. That may not even come out this year. He started the series back in 1996, and it feels like book six, Winds of Winter, has taken most of that time. Ben, I hate to break it to you if you haven't heard, but he stopped working on Winds of Winter, and now he's working on a theme park or something. I mean, literally, like he's talked about a film studio. He's pretty much, I just don't think he's going to write. He's just given up the, yeah. the series? I think he knows how it ends and just doesn't want to write it. <laughs> well, he, 
Lastly, Sean, I am no hurry for Tom to materialize back here. Having read it already, he will assume a spot on the TARDIS table with the rest of my fourth Doctor items. Of more concern to me is what you all think of it. I am very interested to hear your thoughts, all of you. I believe that's it for now. Should I have more profound thoughts, I will tack them on as a PS. Take care, Ben. And apparently he did not have more profound thoughts. <laughs> no PS. Yeah. No PS. Thank you, as Ben. Of this, as of this recording, no yes. PS. We may get a PS in next week. That's true. <laughs> Our next bit of feedback comes from Chrissy. Chrissy writes, Dear Vortex Boys, Apologies in advance if this gets really long. This is what happens when you spend week after week meaning to write in feedback and never getting around to it. Some of the stuff I want to talk about here happened a while ago, so you may or may not remember it, but I made notes, and it would be a shame if they went to waste. (laughs) First off, warmest congratulations to Keith and Sarah on their impending parenthood. It's kind of funny that I mentioned on the 5-ish fangirls that Jared and I are expecting about a week before you guys made your news public. The other lady speculated that ours would likely be the first baby born to a host of one of our respective podcasts, but I do remember kind of joking something along the lines of, (laughs) well, not unless Keith and Sarah have news they haven't announced yet. (laughs) A few days later, I saw a picture on Facebook of Cody with a pair of pink baby shoes saying, Big Brother Duty begins in July. So you two beat us by a month. (laughs) Just barely. We're due in early August. Not looking for a competition, of course, as long as the babies come safe and healthy. Oh, it's a race now. It is a race. (laughs) You get on Sarah, and you tell her to push that baby out. My sister, I was just talking to her. She better not be born on my birthday, which is like a week before her due date. (laughs) I love this little girl already, but I don't want to share my birthday. I'm putting money down on this baby now. (laughs) We we should do a, a, a poll. We should, we should take bets on... We should do a pool. Pool, that's the one. When's your sister's birthday? June 25th. <laughs> and when's Chrissy's due date? August. Your August. sister's... Early August. Wait, you have a sister? <laughs> yeah. And she's born on June 25th? Yes. That's my brother's birthday. Oh. Hey, the baby could be on my birthday. It's the 21st. What's the official clock? You know, like the Oscars, the fade to black. What do we do? What, do we... <laughs> what do you mean, Dave? When she's born? <laughs> My watch, your watch. Who, who the doctor's watch. <laughs> they yeah, put, that, the on doctor the put that on the birth certificate. I think we will have legal proof of time. Birth, birth time. Anyway, lost where I was. Uh, safe and healthy, that's all that matters. And I do hope Sarah's doing well. I've been thinking of her quite a bit and hope that everything is going as smoothly as possible. She's doing pretty well. We haven't no, gotten an update from no, you recently. No real pregnancy sure. issues. She's had side in, a pain in her side that's not pregnancy related that they can't do anything for because she's pregnant. So they think it. They think it's a trapped nerve or scar tissue wrapped around the nerve from her gallbladder surgery because it's in the same area. Mm. So she's got to just kind of deal with it until the baby comes. I did feel the baby kick this past week. That was pretty awesome for the first time. It is. It's yeah. really cool. Kind of light. It wasn't what I expected, but anyway. Though I have to say I'm highly disappointed and no, slightly disappointed. I don't know. Maybe she's highly disappointed. Just type slightly <laughs> in Sean and Glenn. When you three were bantering about middle names that start with an A, and were trying to think of girls' names from Doctor Who, neither of you thought to suggest Ace? You got Amelia and Amy, but no love for a companion that I know is one of Sean's favorites? Tisk tisk. That's a good point. It's because uh, her name is Dorothy. Yeah, her name's Dorothy, and Ace <laughs> is a nickname. And I don't think I would saddle a child with a nickname as an actual name. Yeah, even I, as a middle name. I mean, granted, we did sit there and say, 
surely there's more companions with <laughs> a first na- a name yeah, but and yeah. we should have maybe come up with ace but i think in the back of my mind ace isn't her actual name yeah so. what he said I'll, I'll go with that the old man memory is kicking in like, yeah sure okay I've also been working on catching up with the Lethbridge-Stewart books. Somehow, I'd missed reading Mutually Assured Domination in publication order, so I went back to read it. Holy cow! I remember you guys gushing about that book on the podcast, and I can understand why. I had the hardest time putting that book down, which I haven't had with a lot of books that I've read recently. I've kind of been in a reading slump since the new year started. But that one balanced enough with the action and the characters and the talky bits that I never felt bored or confused like I had to go back and reread something I missed. It's been kind of a slow go for me with this series, but I feel like between Mutually Assured Domination and The Showstoppers, which I'm currently reading and totally enjoying, I'm getting the hang of this Lethbridge-Stewart series. I look forward to more, and I have The Havoc Files 3 on pre-order, just FYI. Other recent reviews you guys covered. Circular Time is one of my all-time favorite Big Finish audios, and I was happy to hear you three praise it so much. I love the anthology structure of it, and I feel like those four short stories represent everything I love about the Fifth Doctor's era. You have the quirky adventure with the Time Lords and the Bird People, the fun yet serious historical with Isaac Newton, the sweet character-focused story with Nyssa, something I think Black Orchid was meant to be but never quite figured it out, and then the heart-wrenching ending dealing with the Doctor's regeneration. After listening to your reviews, I went back and listened to the audio in one sitting and just let myself enjoy it yet again. It still holds up nicely. But, listening to your review of Renaissance of the Daleks, I could not remember ever listening to that one, even though my iTunes says I did. So I fired that one up after Circular Time, and... Yeah, I know why I don't remember it. (laughs) It's not completely awful, but after Circular Time, it's a bit of a letdown. Seems like you have to have some space between the two to appreciate them on their own terms. That's a valid point, Chrissy, something I didn't think about last week when we were discussing them, that maybe it's just victim of timing. Because I think we all said that it wasn't horrible. Yeah. Yeah. There were things about it that we liked, but it just, eh. One more note, one of your feedbackers last week, I want to say it was Ben, a thousand apologies if I'm not remembering correctly, mentioned a bit from Peter Davidson's memoir. (laughs) It was Ben. It was Ben. And that he seemed to be disparaging people who wear Tom Baker scarves to conventions. Granted, I've not yet read the book. It's on my list, I swear. But I actually remember Peter making a similar joke at Salt Lake Fan X last year. And it clearly was a joke. Someone asked something along the lines of, What's your least favorite thing about being in Doctor Who? His immediate response, with a wink and a nod, was how many people wear those scarves to conventions. And there were a fair number of scarf wearers in that audience. But he said it in such a way that everyone in the room laughed, and he went on to say that there really wasn't anything he vehemently disliked about being a part of Doctor Who, and it hasn't really dragged down his career. Though maybe in the days right after he left, he was worried about being typecast. But that turned out not to be a problem. Something I've noticed about Peter Davidson is he has a very dry, deprecating sense of humor that could easily be taken offense from if you don't realize that's what he's doing. I've listened to so many interviews and commentaries from him where he'll make a joke, and I'll even have to stop and think, okay, I know you're not being serious, but dang. And I do laugh, because I also have that kind of sense of humor, and it's gotten me in trouble more times than I wish to admit. But it's kind of a nervous laugh where I'm thinking, ooh, that could have gone poorly. Also, 
sometimes such humor doesn't translate very well to print. Spend any time writing on the internet and you will learn this the hard way, points itself. So I imagine that's what happened. No one's at fault as such, but misunderstandings do happen. And not every joke is going to play well to everyone. Different people find different things funny, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I've hijacked the feedback section long enough. I'll wrap up here and let you three get on with your regularly scheduled programming. Talk to you later. Chrissy. Sent from my iPad, so please excuse the typos. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Chrissy. Good to hear from you again. Our number one fan in Utah. Oh, and I are quantifying it. I'm just saying. <laughs> she is. That's true. Can't deny that. It's very true. If well, you our, want to send us feedback, go ahead and send it to feedback at Traveling the Vortex or go to TravelingTheVortex.com and fill out the Send Us Feedback tab. And our regularly scheduled programming will not take place this week so that instead we can bring you this special... What? This special. The special. <laughs> you said special like there was going to be a word after. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> no. I thought we were waiting for the sound effect like the old CBS specials. That you remember that? Oh yeah. Maybe it'd be the beginning. Of a Usually special. before a pledge. CBS, <laughs> no. CBS. No, not CBS. CBS. <laughs> CBS. They play you, you, uh, stuff. before uh, uh, like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. And those kind of things. They always said a CBS special, and the words literally did this, and yeah. it turned over, and it was that funky, you know. You know, the, the trailing, almost like psychedelic lettering behind letter, it. Letter, 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 letter. letter. Yeah. All the way around. I thought that's what he was waiting for. Maybe in my head it happened. Thanks, Glenn. This special. Oh, I didn't have to do it again. Yeah. What's the special, Sean? Her poll. Like you weren't setting him up. Explain the special. Oh, explain the poll. I figured you'd do that. So we, we, we sat down and we asked our, our wonderful listeners to write in and uh, answer a poll question for us. Uh, did you spit on your pop filter? No. And none of them wrote in. They just went to the website <laughs> and the Facebook page and took the poll. That's right. You it think works. you can do a better job explaining this? <laughs> yes. Well, then do it. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'd like to see you flounder. <laughs> okay. So we asked everybody to write in and tell us on our poll online. What? <laughs> You're having a conniption. What are you doing over here? <laughs> they would write in again. Nobody they wrote, they in. wrote in. You had to write in on <laughs> so, the... To be fair, some people did write in on the comments. See? <laughs> of the post, which we'll read out after the, uh, uh, the end of it all. All right, all right. There was a blank and they filled it out. That's writing in. Wow. They took advantage of a blank spot. To write it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't necessarily, there was a blank. It was internet graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> they, they tagged our wall. <laughs> we put up a poll there. Are you happy? Yep. That's so much lamer than what I was trying to do with it. doesn't deserve the... There's a poll. They filled it out. We asked what monsters suck, and they told us there are you happy glenn <laughs> and we're gonna defend all the joy monsters. out of this and we're gonna defend it yeah now i don't even want to do it <laughs> <laughs> well too bad so yeah we we totally did this poll thing and it was awesome and people didn't write in See, i can't say that that sounds worse you have two levels you have here way up here in the stratosphere and way down here i'm bipolar i thought you knew that 
So we put up two polls, one on Facebook and one on our website. We ask you to decide what the least favorite or least worst monsters in Doctor Who We gave you 11 options. The least worst? The least worst? The most worst. The most worst. (laughs) The worst. The worst. What are the worst? (laughs) Give us the worst. The worstest. The the question was, which are the worst monsters in Doctor Who? And uh, you responded, and we're going to take the the top five uh, vote-getters. And we are going to defend them. And here, if the you're curious five of votes. what didn't get any votes, obviously these are awesome monsters that aren't horrible. The fish people from Underwater Menace. Wait a minute. Do we want to do all of them or are we doing one at a time? No, these are the, these are the ones that didn't get Oh, votes. these were the honorable mentions. The, 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 yeah, these are the ones on the poll that <laughs> okay. did not get votes. I got you. Okay, go ahead. So, in a way, they won. In a way, they won, yes. <laughs> they became mediocre monsters instead of That's work. right. Vervoids. I like that. So, fish people, vervoids, crotons, monoids. Yeah, the crotons on there? Yeah. For shame. Oh, the crotons weren't right. No, the crotons weren't great. For shame. I'm so glad we don't have to defend the crotons. <laughs> it's not like I put the quarks on here. You'll notice they're not here. <laughs> you know, I, I realized uh, that after we boy. gave you the poll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was weighted. Alpha Centuri, the Zarbi, those are the only ones that did not get vote. I, I do want to clarify that somebody did speculate that maybe Alpha Centauri was out of place what, because what the you wouldn't consider her a monster, per se. An alien. Yeah. We used monster as a loose term. Because <laughs> one wouldn't argue the fish people are really monsters either. Yeah. Yeah, they're just... They weren't, okay. they weren't villainous. They were just there. Yeah. Same thing with Alpha Centauri. So the whole poll is flawed, is what you're telling me. So should we start with the uh, the... Uh, on our top five most vote getters, should we stop with our start at the lowest and go to the top? Yes. Okay. The lowest getting between the two poles. <laughs> Number five is Candyman. Candyman. Okay. Which we love the Candyman. We have to defend why Candyman is a good monster and not a horrible monster. Right. Have you seen Candyman? <laughs> Not only is he awesome, well portrayed. Every one of these. Have you seen so and so? Drop Mike. <laughs> it's Candy- the Candyman. He he's awesome. I'll start because I've always had a love hate relationship with the Candyman, and I think I've discussed this on the show before, back when we reviewed uh, Happiness Patrol. Candyman is one of those ones on the surface that seems to be a very lazy design. It seems to be something that's campy, and it seems to come across as something, kind of a, a jump-the-shark moment for the, the series, which has arguably had some silly monsters and, and, and villains before, but this really seems to be the jump-the-shark, take the cake. And it falls in and that... And put it on your face. It falls in that <laughs> early era of Doctor Who, of uh, Sylvester McCoy's Doctor Who, and it falls in an episode that I think is commonly panned by uh, Unrightfully fans. so. Unrightfully and, and you guys so. have defended it. And I have warmed to it in the, the, few, the couple times now that I've seen it. Mostly to uh, Sophie Aldrin and, and uh, Sylvester McCoy's credit as far as performances. But that being said, that's the reasons why I, I, don't, I, don't, I shouldn't say I hate Candyman. But that's the side of me that thinks, yeah, they, I can see those points. On the flip side of that, it's something that's very creative. Just in the essence that they took the chance to do something like this. And when you boil it down to the subject of the episode, which is a society that is 
you know, causing this sugary sweet, or, or at least forcing this sugary sugary sweet dogma on our on the, the the residents of this particular place, they are requiring that people be happy. They're forcing this kind of thing on it. So th- what it becomes is it becomes a symbol of that above and beyond what they're trying to do, and they're sugarcoating the element within this story as well. And I think on and that level, it works because very well. he's the executioner. It takes it to another level and in addition to that because he's the embodiment of what's wrong with the society because he's sweet on the surface but rotten to the core. Yeah. And that's why he's a brilliant monster because in the story... Nah, 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 I won't go as far as No, that he's yet, brilliant. That's why he's good. He, in the, in the, especially in the context of the story of the society they've created, it's the only monster, you, only creature you could have down there doing this sort of thing. A human, it wouldn't, fly, it wouldn't work. Because only this weird, robotic, candy-covered machine could, to the level needed, instill the fear and happiness at the same time in society and allow Madame, or whatever her name is, Helena A. Helena A. To rule with the iron fist that she has. It goes one step further, and I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't really think about this until what you just said. The fact that they're sugarcoating their dogma literally because you get strawberry fondue yeah <laughs> don't that's, on you that's, that's your death you're killed by fondue yeah. you know they're sugarcoating you that's it, it's so meta tongue-in-cheek that it's it, it's almost it's almost too clever it's almost <laughs> beyond what normal doctor who should be written as and that's why the candy man is brilliant yeah i mean i can i can understand on the surface he's a collection of sweets if, That's a goofy idea. I, su- I suppose if you don't get the story, I could see why it's not a good monster for you. And I think that, unfortunately, it's it, Happiness Patrol's shortcomings is the fact is that it, it comes in a time where it's following up some very serious stories. I mean, you can laugh, and some things are, are campy when you look back on with you know the, the, the lenses of the past. But at the time that things were being written, it did come from a more serious, more stoic era of Doctor Who, where it wasn't trying. It wasn't trying to be, you know, too funny. There was humor and there were silly moments, but it was not. It was. It was taking itself serious as a as a drama, as a, as, a, as a science fiction show, as a family drama. Um, it starts to kind of veer off course a little bit there at the end, towards the end of. Uh, uh, Colin Baker's uh, era and at the beginning of Sylvester McCoy's era and I think a lot of the uh, writers and the showrunners uh, or the script editors I suppose they were called at that time also agreed Doctor Who was spiraling in a direction that it probably didn't need to go and so coming on the heels of that it does from a standpoint of looking at this story does kind of come across cheesy and campy but when you dig down to the core of the story and the core of the reason why you use Candyman it, it really is it is as you said it's, it's almost writing on a, on a level higher than Doctor Who really should have been being written at that time and so unfortunately it sets in that era of stinker I mean, there's a lot of people, writers themselves, will say, you know, this was an era. It wasn't until Cartmel started putting things in, you know, play that really started taking the Doctor. We recognize that the, well, as we call it, the Ace Trilogy, Ghost Relight, Fenric, and Survival. Boy, if we could have gone on past those for where they went, it would, it, Doctor Who would have been phenomenal again, unfortunately. Then it goes on the, the, you know, indefinite hiatus. 
So it's in that era that I think people look at it and they go, oh, this is that chunky, clunky, you know, cheesy era of Doctor Who. And so they don't look down deep into it. They look at it on a surface level. And couple that with the fact that the look of the Candyman is very panto, very kids program yeah. looking it's it's very simplistic design well and i, th- it's, I think it's, that works to its benefit i think it can but i think had were you able to take Candyman today and use maybe some cgi or things like that and use the base story of this i think people would be more accepting and see that layer of yeah. meta that they were doing within the story right now the the exterior and the look overshadows that along with what I was describing with that kind of that clunky era. And so, yes, you got to look really deep into the story to really get more out of Candyman as a character. And I think that's what we're trying to say. Well, and I think to some extent, they did with Candyman what Moffat's done multiple times. Because they, from what I, from what I remember, Candyman was kind of designed after a current candy mascot, and they almost got in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. they, they took... An everyday object or something that you would see around your house and turned it evil and something to scare you. So it kind of has that Moffat aspect to it. Right? It, it doesn't hold up because it's not still around today. Right. But it has the the reach of doing Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's oh, the yeah. Stay Puft Marshmallow yeah. Man yeah. as a villain. But whereas Ghostbusters did it for comedic effect with this giant... Marshmallow Man stomping his way through New York, and that's just funny, even though he was a credible threat. I mean, he steps on a church. This is a scary guy. (laughs) But it was still funny. Doctor Who stripped that away and gave us this candy logo that kills people with fondant. It's it's literally the Willy Wonka gone bad. Mm -hmm. And he's got a candy kitchen, and he's got all these terrifying things. But they... Partly because it's Doctor Who, they never fully cross over into horror movie you, you still scare. Have to, you have to stay on the, the side of it being a family program. So yeah. I, I, I think yeah. they I think they straddle that line between we're treating this as a very serious villain of the piece, who, yes, has maybe a comedic... I mean, we're not playing it for comedic effect the way Ghostbusters does. We're treating it like this. And the whole episode fits around that. And I think it's, I think it's to great effect. I remember as a kid seeing pictures of the Candyman and going, what on earth is this? Because <laughs> I hadn't seen that episode. And then watching it, completely blown away. A, that they went there. B, that they pulled it off. It works. It totally works. I understand. I, I do. I understand fandom when they look at that and go, and because let's face it, if we'd had a Marshmallow Man, if they'd straight up ripped off Ghostbusters and had a Marshmallow Man in this, we would have went, Ugh, this, this doesn't work. Yeah, but it's the attention to detail. It is the look. I don't think he would work as a CGI creation. I, I think that moves him into a, a a more laughable category because it wouldn't visually be as striking. It would look lazy. It would look and it wouldn't stand up through the test. And of it time. wouldn't. Yeah, like, it would look like bad CGI. See, but I think now you'd have to take it a step further. There'd have to be that weird edge of slick clean candy look that's just has that a little bit of an off-putting edge to it i think you could do it i don't think you could do candy man the way he's designed for the episode and just do a cgi version of candy man i think we'd ha- you'd have to have like candy canes but candy cane claws you'd have to have you know uh very pointed ears you know the, the, the candy man would look dramatically different in right. order to give him that dark villainous look 
but with that sweet candy coating. You know, I, I think what's the you, raggedy, that's what I mean you could do. It. What's the Raggedy Ann animated story where they fall into the, there's a, the toffee monster yeah, or something. something like that. Which as a kid yeah. scared me. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a pretty terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But realistically, it's a lump. It's a morphous blob that, you know, they've <laughs> fallen into the bad toffee. But it does yeah, terrify. And, and I think that you could do something like that with CGI. It's funny that you remember you that. Could, yeah. <laughs> but it was an HBO one. Another HBO Probably, stable, yeah. 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 Um, it's, it, but it, that's why I say, well, I don't, I don't think you could take it, the, the blueprint for Candyman in that story and just make a CGI. Yeah, no, not as he is. You'd you'd have to change him. If you changed him, I think you you could work without it looking too campy. Here's a good example. The toy things that attack the people in the home in Krampus. I mean, they genuinely look like toys, but they have enough of an edge of terrifying Uh to them. I mean, I I think that's how you would do it. But see, that, I think, crosses more over... Into that horror. Into that horror realm. Yeah, it does. But I think you but can do, the you show can do is that also more with Doctor Who now, because look at some of the things we've gotten. Day, which, yeah. yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. If you did, that's what my point is, if you did it today, yeah, yeah you could still pull it off. So yeah, thumbs up to Candyman. Thumbs up to Candyman. Oh, yeah, Man. fantastic. And, uh, Sorry fans, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Candyman? Tying the number of votes with Candyman. <laughs> is our favorite, the Merkup. Do we really need to defend the Merca? Haven't we defended the Merca the ad nauseum? Th- this falls into that the things that people come down on Doctor Who is a lot of people can't get past the visualization, the limitations that they had at the time. And so they come down on the fact that it looks like a panto horse, and it does. On the surface, when you look at it, it is two guys in a horse costume. But within the context of the story, and I think what helps the Merca for me is when you get to do something that's not as visual like the story that we did that we listened to one time time. with the sixth doctor and the thing is actually swimming around and menacing under under the surface and is much bigger than the the one we find out that the one in uh, warriors of the deep is actually a very young Mm -hmm. merka and so when you put it in the context of we know you got to realize they had limitations their limitations with sets we've always got past there's limitations with rubber monsters yeah. with wobbly sets although you don't see the wobbly sets as much as we do and i think the problem is is people are looking for things to complain about mm-hmm. in those things and so the first thing they go to especially american fans because they grew up with star wars and star trek and they grew up with these things that looked pretty clean in the 80s on american television because there was money being injected into them from corporations that were selling ads on these networks in the uk when a lot of that was self-funded it's funded by the government because or by the taxpayers you do with what you can and that's the budget limitations you have but the concept of this creature that's being unleashed on our heroes is a great idea it's fantastic i mean they complain about the Merca, but at the same time, they turn around and complain about the wall, that the rubbery wall that, that is made of... Which I've never had like a problem water. with the effect. I don't have a problem with the effect because I know it's there and I know it's a limitation. Warriors of Deep's never been one of my favorite stories, but it has a lot of good elements, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's a bad story for the Davison era. And so I think what happens is it comes down on the fact that the Merca gets a lot of bad press because, well, it was thrown together quickly because they had to do the last-minute spray paint and all that kind of thing. So the, the character itself is not bad. It's effective. It's effective within the story, and it's effective for what it is. 
even you not being quite past as the limitations of what they had to work with. Yeah, even them having to rush to finish it, it works really well in the story. It still does. It's the menacing yeah. threat that it's supposed to be. I really appreciate the fact that Big Finish did take it and realize it even better than they were able to on the show. The fact that oh, this is an underwater creature that works better. Well, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Just because they weren't able to, quote-unquote, finish it on time or were rushing to finish it, I still think it works extremely well. I've said this before. I think, if anything, Warriors of the Deep falls down on too high of a production value. The, well, the set the that they built look fantastic. looks fantastic. And, and it comes down to also, wasn't lit right. That's just it. Had it been a dark atmosphere, the Merca would have looked fantastic. And it's an easy fix to have it well lit at the beginning, and then once the attack starts, they cut out the generator, you oh, dim yeah. everything down into the red emergency lighting, and then the Merca busts down the door. That all of a sudden takes the focus on it. Or go one step further. Everybody that has complained about the Merca has talked about green paint stuck everywhere because it was still wet. I have never seen green paint left on a hallway in one of the shots. I've looked for it. I can't find it. Maybe I've it's behind the scenes story. But okay, own it. Give me a close-up shot of the Merca rubbing up against the wall and leaving a trail of green and then throw some dry ice on it so that it smokes and maybe it's acid or something. All right, now it's scary. There's so much potential with the Merca that people don't see because they see two guys in a panto horse suit and go, eh. And it's like, no, it's so much more than that. Now, the flying karate kick to try and take out the Merca. <laughs> if you're going to complain about Warriors of the Deep, there's other things to complain yeah, about besides exactly. the Merca. That, that, that I got nothing for. I can't come up with... Maybe her brain snapped. She, she was so terrified, terrified of the Merca yeah. that that was the only reaction, was hi and, well, and, 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 and I don't know. The, the trappings of Warriors of the Deep are, are solid, too. That's why I don't think you can look past the fact that they have this kind of Cold War thing going on. Oh, yeah. Two warring factions. And suddenly the Silurians and the Sea Devils are awakened from this and they come up and their you know, their conquest is to take back over their planet because they were here first. And so it's it's a great concept and it becomes a, the, the Merca becomes a weapon used by the Silurians. And a, a logical weapon too because it's biological. It is it gives ancient. That, it's, yeah, it's, it comes from the prehistoric yeah. times. You know. It's much better than nobody brought up the dinosaur in the first Silurian story. Oh, that, or the dinosaur's that, invasion that of the dinosaurs. That looks terrible <laughs> but again I would argue that that works for what they're trying to do. Yeah. It is a prehistoric animal with the limitations. And it was lit better. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing that I think the, the story calls down on is the set is overlit. Don't get me wrong. They did. They, they overlit a lot of sets in those days. And they, I think their, their lighting choice is wrong. But I'm not here to tell you how to fix it now that it's already been done. No. But what happens, too, is the overlighting does not suffer in that because the sets look great. They look crisp. They look pristine. And there's they're very colorful sets, if you'll remember as well. Mm -hmm. There's lots of colors. So the overlighting benefits from that. So the overlighting is fantastic. Unfortunately, when you use that same lighting, as you're alluding to, there are things you could have done. But that overlit look also shows all the blemishes where there are things that aren't as good and pristine and gorgeous as the sets. Yeah, I, maybe it's unfair, but for me, any failings that Warriors of the Deep has, in my mind, lie at the feet of the director. I, I really feel like the, the script is good. It's a good story. It's well written. The realization of the monster, while maybe falling down a little bit, 
you step up and you go, okay, what can we do with it? And instead they kind of just let it lumber through the scene. But that's not a failing of the murka itself. That's a failing of the realization of the murka. And as, as you said with Candyman, you got to go back to the story. you got to look at the context of which these things are in. Yes, I can look at a picture of the murka and go, <laughs> I can't believe you guys watched that show. Yeah, watch the show, then you'll get it. <laughs> you look at the pictures of the Merca, and it doesn't look great. But then even for me, seeing it in movements, it looks so much better. Mm-hmm. It looks so much more scary, it's more menacing, it just is more imposing, as opposed to just a still picture. But, well, and even that one shot of its feet, where it's kind of doing the strange snuffleupagus shuffle. Yeah. yeah. The toes wobble, and they, yeah. yeah and, and there's almost a part of you that goes, mm, you probably should have cut that shot. Yeah. But it's a water creature struggling to get through a yeah. hallway in a sea base. I, yeah, I'm okay with it. It just came through a door for crying out loud. Yeah, really. It's been shot yeah. a lot. <laughs> a lot. And it's still going. It took out Crazy Karate Chick. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Energizer Bunny of Doctor Who really monsters. Is. It's still going. So as I don't. As far as the Crazy Karate Chick. <laughs> With that karate kick, yeah, it was probably a bad judgment call, but at that point, it's fight or flight. And she just chose flight. <laughs> she should have chose flight, but she chose fight, and that was her misgiving. So I won't even come down on that. <laughs> I can come down on that. <laughs> That's a whole different poll. That's yeah. a very Stupid moments poll. in Doctor Who. The karate kick. Ding. I just, yeah, I don't think you can blame the Merca for any of that. Yeah. I, I think fandom has a tendency to turn on things that are easy to turn on. Yeah. And people saw the Merca and went, aha. And I'm sorry, guys. I just, I just don't see it. I see, no. I see pride. I see power. I see a scary monster of the abyss. Yes, I do. Could you imagine if they would have been able to do something underwater with it in the actual episode? <sighs> I don't think people would have been as naysaying about it if they hadn't been able to do like some model shot of something with it. If Let's, they would have been able to do it well, I that's suppose. the problem. Is I mean, that's just it. It's hard to say because look at the fish people. I mean. Yeah, I think How about did, today? I think they did a good job. What if, what if you did a CGI Merca yeah. beneath the lake? Oh, and, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. That's what Moffat should have done in Series 10. Yep. Uh, he still might. He's <laughs> thrown everything <laughs> well, else in surprised. there. We didn't put the Scarison on here either. Oh, no, we didn't. Nessie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got next? So that was Merca and Candyman tied for fourth. In third place... <laughs> the Sladine. Ooh. I started the last two, and I refuse to start <laughs> okay. because so, it's going to take me a long time so, to find some good guys. I got it. I got this right this, now. Okay, go ahead. For me, the Slovene is the reverse, whereas the other two, you have to take the story in context to make the appearance of the monster acceptable. I go the reverse. I think the Slovene is a fantastic design. It's inventive. It's different. It's not an anthropomorphized whatever. Oh, I found something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Sean, keep talking. (laughs) Yes, they have squishy faces, and they're kind of comedic. The Slovene are kind of comedic. I mean, they they weren't really... It's a perfect introductory monster to Doctor Who for especially trying to get young kids into the show. Right. They're very young kid friendly. And I think that's very evident that they went... And shoved them over here to the Sarah Jane Adventures oh, yeah. for the most and they, part and because they work, really they work well right there, there, and maybe don't work so great in Doctor Who. But the, again, look at the Ferengi in Star Trek: The Next Generation. The way the Ferengi started off is not where the Ferengi wound up, and the Ferengi in season one were meant to be the big bad. They were going to be the constant, never-ending foe of the Federation, and it became very obvious after Episode One: No, we can't do this. It's not going to work. 
And so they went back to the drawing board and retooled them and came up with rules of acquisition. And then where they found their footing is in Deep Space Nine and became phenomenal. Yeah. It became a phenomenal race. I think the Slothene are just like that. I think that the, the design of the Slothene is inventive and cool. It doesn't look like something you've seen before. It doesn't look like an anthropomorphized bug or something. They've green faces and the long necks and everything. Now, were they utilized poorly? Yeah, maybe with the farting and the jokes and that kind of stuff. But that's a script problem. That's not a monster problem. Yeah, especially like when you see the CGI versions of them going through the hallways, they are very menacing. They truck. And they're they're yeah, scary. They really are. I'm going to disagree with one point. Just I know we're trying to defend these, but I think that a creature or a, or a, a character is born from the script. So by saying it's a script problem, yes, it is a creature problem. I agree with you in the sense that there is some potential, and I think that if they are they were able to take the Ferengi route, which again I think the best thing that they could have done with the Saladine was to splinter them off and send them over to Sarah Jane because they they are more organic there, they fit better in that, and probably because that is a little geared towards a much younger audience than maybe even Doctor Who is. I think they're both family shows. I don't think Sarah Jane Adventures is any more a children's show than Doctor Who is, or any less a family show than Doctor Who is. But obviously the content of Sarah Jane is aimed at a younger audience. Right. And so... I think it does work over there. I'm going to zero in because I, I, I can't say too much good for the Slovene. But I do appreciate the fact that they went out of the gate with something that was not a rhino wearing a space helmet. It was not a bug. It, was not, it, it wasn't any of those things that they have failed with me in the past. In the new series, when you've yeah. got a little more money to do these kind of things and you continue to bring back anthropomorphized animals, that irritates me. But the wonderful thing about Selene is that they work on the base level of it's an inventive new monster. Here's the other thing that I can zero in on. They are not cute, fluffy aliens that they are portrayed in visual form. They are vicious. Even though they're farting and they're funny and they're a goofy crime family, really, is what they (laughs) boil down to. They are vicious. In Boomtown, she's waiting outside the door to take this woman out. And, oh, yeah. And she starts to sympathize with the, the girl because, was she pregnant or something? Yep. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, they can be downright vicious and dangerous. And the doctor recognizes this in the, the two-part that introduces them. And so the, <laughs> that's what I think is very clever about them is they look harmless in some cases. And you're right, they're child-friendly. But they, on the... Uh, underneath when you peel away the layers they are vicious killing oh, yeah. murdering beasts well, they're and so that works really well kill everyone on the earth to sell the planet yes, yes. i mean just of anybody any creature willing to do that is just vicious yes yes the other thing that i appreciate about them quite honestly i know there are cgi shots of the slithine in those two episodes I'll be darned if I could tell you 100% for sure, other than the running down the hallway, the, the which is, ones is are the which. One. The re- running yeah. are really the only ones. Yeah. The way that the faces of these things are constructed, and yes, they look like little squishy, want to pinch the cheek what? things, but they kind of look like those um, micro bead pillows. Mm-hmm. Have you seen those that are just kind of, it's, it looks like a pillow, but it's really squashy? Oh, yeah. That's kind of what they look like, but yet they hold their structure. And I watch the Slovene episode, and I stare at these things, trying to figure out how they did it. Is that makeup? Is that a prosthetic? Is it a sculpt? Is it CGI? And then the eyes blink, and I go, well, it's CGI. But then it doesn't look like CGI. (laughs) If you can pull that off with a monster, you've done your job, regardless of the design of it. 
if I can't tell, hats Here, off. Well, Good job. You, you say also the, the squishy aspect to them. That makes them disarming because you mm-hmm. don't that's, expect them to yeah, be as vicious as yeah. they really are or as deadly. And then the claws come out. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, though, the I, I can tell it's men in suits with, with really good animatronics. I can tell every time I watch it. They're a great design if they are standing still looking at you and you're able to just see the headshot or something with the eyes moving or those kind of things. The problem is when they start to turn around and you lose probably some of the ones that they didn't put animatronics in because they didn't need those tight shots of them, so they saved on the money of putting the animatronics in. But when they specifically start to move, their heads jiggle. Now, yeah, you can, you can go in to explain why they're squishy, and they're maybe yeah. they're, but, but they really move like a puppet, like a, a rubber-headed puppet. And that's I think that's where a lot of people look into them and go, okay, that's the problem. But I really don't even think people have a problem with the design. We're defending the design of these and how great they look and how disarming they are, but I think the most people come down on the fact that the characterization of them is what's bad, and I don't think that I can defend the characterization. The concept of it, I think, is brilliant, and I think that's as far as I can go as, as, as uh, you know, arguing that that, that, that works. It's a, it's a crime family that's ready to wipe out the earth so they can sell it as real estate. That's a great idea. I love that. I love the base idea of that. The portrayal, even the performance from the actors, who just are doing what they've got, that come, but it all comes down to script. And when you've got farting monsters and you're doing it for the sake of a fart joke in Doctor Who, unfortunately, I can't go beyond that and say, yeah, that was a good idea, because it wasn't. But yes, there are good things about the Slovene that I can point out, and that's it. I also like the masquerading as human aspect to them. The fact that they're taking on as people, because especially bringing the show back, they couldn't have done Zygon then. As much as we all were, everyone was championing at the bit to bring back Zygon, in the first season you could not have done that. And it's gotten away with it. So they needed something that could have done something similar, and I think this works really well. I agree with masquerading as humans i disagree with the zipper forehead well that for me of anything that the slitheen do even the farting because they, they gave us a scientific they gave us a scientific explanation for that so that, that's okay i don't agree with it i don't like it but all right but they, when, when they reach up to a non-existing point and unzip their forehead that's for me where it kind of starts to fall down and again you glenn's right that goes back to the script because yeah. that's how it was written that's one of those maybe nutty ideas that Doctor Who has that maybe just wasn't realized as well as it could have been. I don't know how you fix that. It still looks like a zipper. It's an imaginary zipper. Maybe a zipper behind. Maybe they should have oozed out through the ears or something. I don't know. But uh, that's neither here nor there. For me, the the design of the Slytherin works, and I believe in the monsters. I believe in their capacity to be, oh, look at me, I'm disarming, I'm kind of cute, and then the teeth and the claws come out, and they're rotten to the core because they're going to sell the planet as scrap. Not just the fact that we're going to kill everybody on it and then sell it. <laughs> we don't even want the planet. We don't want your resources. We don't want the water. We want to nuke it and boil it off just so that we can get to the chunk of the ore at the base. That's how despicable they are. And then the extra level that these are criminals from their world. It's yeah. not even... They, they, it's it's, it's yeah. a bad rogue element yeah. of it. They're not even real Slothene. <laughs> well, no, they're Slothene. They're just... No, that's, the, that's the, the family speed. is the family Slothene. Slothene. Yeah. They're not Rax. They're not Rax. Yeah, <laughs> try and bring that one up. Cora. Ah, no, not, not going to get it. I can get it sometimes, but I can't. Raxa. They're from that planet. Yeah. Raxa. Raxa. Raxa No, Raxa I'm missing a, a syllable is the reason yeah, I can't never get there, do it. But anyway, um, the, the, the zipper thing, the, 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 where I'll come down on that is, 
the fix for the zipper thing is hide it under the clothes. Simply hide it under the clothes. Oh, yeah, instead of and up don't here. show us. But here's the thing. In a producer or a, a director's mind or somebody that's putting this forth, you, you lose the wow factor. You don't get the bright light that comes out as they do it. You don't get that, aha, oh, they're, they're unzipping. That's why they went for that. Unfortunately, I think that was a mistake. But the fix is hide the zipper. Hide it underneath the clothes. Don't show me they were, them revealing. Just show them clothes, the, the, yeah, the clothes and the skin dropping to the floor and then being revealed. That's fine. That's how they'd have done it, probably. You classic Doctor Who because they have the money to do the big yeah. bright light coming out of the forehead. Suddenly you got a bigger budget. You want the bright light coming out of the forehead, and that's why they did it. So that comes down to a production aspect, not a script aspect. Yeah. No. Maybe. <laughs> because the script could Somebody just... could have been injected. Hey, you know what would be cool is if they zip their forehead. Yeah, yes, I mean, that, so it's... it's it unless could, we go back to the original script. The script. Yeah. yeah. So. It could, the script easily could have just said, reveals monster. What's next? I'm feeling kind of yucky having to defend something. <laughs> It's going to get worse from here. <laughs> Up next for number two. Human Dalek Sec. Ooh. <laughs> I'll start this one with, I appreciate Human Dalek Sec, especially as they've done Dalek stories and done Dalek stories, and they're looking for a new way to advance the Dalek and move the Dalek forward. And the fact that they took this Cult of Scarrow, Daleks that are supposed to... Think outside the think, box. Yeah, think outside the box and come up with new and unique ways to do things. And this is one of them. To continue the race forward and to take the next step to evolve and take over. I think it works really well. I don't... I've, this, if I had to make a list of bad Doctor Who monster villains, uh, Dalek Sex is way at the bottom. I mean, that's... And if you're gonna, I've never had a problem with Dalek Sex. Now, I don't have as much issue with the two-part story. I, I, I see it's stinkers. I see the bads in it, but I, I've never had as much of a problem with the story as... Because you. you're blinded by Daleks. And I think... Well, it could be. And I think it's... I think it's... But I think that's a product of... I, I can't... I can only mirror what Keith is saying about the idea and the concept of coming up with something different. I think what, that worked for me. Uh, the execution, even, I think they pulled that off just Because really, if you're going to do a hybrid Dalek-human, of course it's going to look like that. I think when people look at that, I think they they, look, they probably default to that classic... The, the thing I was saying happens in the classic era is it's not realized very well. And I think maybe the... If anything, the rubber suit head just didn't work and the animatronics didn't look organic or natural. But it still worked for me because I could look past that fact that, hey, they maybe didn't have the body to be able to make <laughs> you know CGI animated head, which I think would have worked even better. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I always like the, the concept of that. Again, there's there, the, the stinkers or the, the pigmen, the things like that. that. That's the issues. Those are problems. The I, characterizations I, I, of the characterizations New Yorkers. Characterizations of New Yorkers. There are, there are aspects of it that Andrew I don't Garfield. like. Andrew <laughs> Garfield. He's okay. Andrew Garfield was fine. Yeah. It was Tallulah. He dove into a heavy southern accent in order to pull off, I think, early, early days for his acting career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lula even over the top, but um, I the the concept of that and the character itself and his his you know motivations. I think he he all along thinks that this is the next step. This is the evolution. This is how we do it. He's misguided, and the other Daleks turn on him. And I think that's a great idea because oh, yeah. they default to their base instinct of seeing a civil war is, among them exactly yeah. this is wrong we've gone through this before this isn't how we advance and and so i like that i think it's a great concept and i i, I applaud them for the effort i would agree i have many 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 problems with daleks in manhattan and evolution of the daleks 
I've gone on record. I do not like this two-parter. <laughs> I think it's lazy writing. Uh, on and on and on and on and on. I don't like it. All of my problems with it stem from the pigmen, stem from the you know the other elements of the story that no, we're not realized very well. Dalek Sec, I really don't have much of a problem with. Is he the greatest design ever? No. Is he worse than Scaroth? No. I mean, come on. <laughs> he pulls off the mask and he's got a green tentacle face with a eye glued to his head. Nobody talks about, oh, that was a terrible monster. Why? Because you had Julian Glover under the mask <laughs> in a great story written by Douglas and Adams. Most of the time it wasn't the mask. It yeah. was Julian Glover. So you, you have those things that are give and take within Doctor Who. The way Dalek set comes about in this hybrid and the idea that the Daleks have of this is how we're going to do it, that's genius. And it's well within their real house to try and come up with something that ultimately they themselves see as a perversion of the Dalek purity. Which you know kind of goes back to, well, what did you think was going to happen? That goes back to more general Dalek issues. That's, yeah, yeah, that's right. problems with the Daleks. That's not necessarily... Sek is, I don't mind the fact that he's a humanoid with a Dalek head. It doesn't bother me at all. And I, I, I really, since we just came off of City of Death, how is it any different? Yeah. It isn't. But people want to freak out over that particular element because his little tentacle thing just kind of went, he, he, yeah, yeah. he. He's kind of bobbled when he moved his head. Scarus didn't move at all unless he did this. Yeah. I mean, he had to be really angry for his tentacles to move. It's just not a problem for me. So I don't understand, again, where fandom comes from. Now, if you want to pick apart that episode for everything else that's wrong with it, yeah, I'm right there with you, because it's got a ton of problems. <laughs> but Dalek Sek is one of the worst monsters ever? No. 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 Is he in one of the worst stories ever? Sure. I'll, go, I'll give you that. <laughs> but I don't have a problem with Dalek Sek. And, and if that's the reason why somebody comes down on Dalek Sek as being a worst monster, I can kind of I can see where they're coming from. It's kind of the same the reason they the would come down on, can but, on Candyman. Exactly, but when you turn around and, and you look at you, you listen to somebody like Sean who does not like those stories, but <laughs> but and he's I, he's gen, not genuinely saying we said we're going to find the good things, so I'm just going to make something up. He's not. He's it's genuine. Have so you when, seen Candyman? When you see when you come when you come to the to the the fact that you know somebody can defend it and still dislike the story, it shows you that there's probably not that much problem with the. The creature itself, it's, true. It's, it's the story. I think, once again, the, the, the creature becomes an easy target. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. becomes the face of that episode. <laughs> and all the, I didn't like that episode, gets directed at the poster child. Yeah, okay. the embodiment. I think the, uh, what's the thing hanging from the ceiling in the long game? Uh, the Jagrafeth. The, the Jagger, yeah. yeah the, that, I think the design of that's even worse. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that's on the, the... I don't think that should have been on the list either because the concepts are good. The story is great around it. And I think it works. And again, it... it that's what but, I worry your it, CGI Candyman would look well, like. It would look like not, a toffee version of that. I don't think, I don't think that, that I would go with that. I think I'd still go with the, the Candyman concepts. But that's the what I'm saying audience. is that's even... That, that's even worse than the Dalek sect as far as I'm going, but because it's framed in a great story, people look past that. I think if you've got to look at the other way, you've got to say, that's I'm going to look past at the stinker of a story and say, do is, does that really why this monster is so bad? It's it's not. And how many people, I mean, obviously within the confines of our poll, we framed it as monsters, so it wasn't an option. But how many people look at Happiness Patrol and specifically call out Candyman because that's the problem with this story. That's right, horrible. Right. But nobody points at Fifi. 
Yeah. Oh, Fifi right. is fantastic in it. Uh, no, Fifi was rough, but <laughs> it, like but Fifi. but again, works because of the concept, because of the content. The giant rat and talons. That's I mean, that is. That's I've seen that on story, some so. list too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so grateful we didn't have to defend that. <laughs> I don't know that I could have defended the giant rat. <laughs> yeah, that would have been number one, and we'd have been like. Next uh, week, we're going to tell you what we think all the worst monsters really are. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, there's, there's there's varying degrees of it, and it's like, well, if you're going to point at this, how can you not point at this? Yeah. And I, I don't think Dalek is one of those things that I can point to and go, this is just horrible. This is what's wrong with the story. No, that's not what's that's wrong not with the yeah. story. Right but that, that's where I come down on And like I said, I don't like these stories. <laughs> I never have. Even the first time I watched them, I was like, and it's gotten more, every, every consecutive viewing of them, whenever I do go back to them, Maybe maybe I just missed it. Maybe I'm I'm okay. I'm gonna sit down. And watch. No. Well, <laughs> don't and, and watch I, I'll stories. admit the, I, I I steer clear of those stories because the more I watch it, the more problems I see with it. But the more they no, fall I, apart. I, I, it never comes down to the it never comes to the level you are. But then again, it's because dogs are flying around shooting people. So, <laughs> so I go glee <laughs> from that. Yay. Homeless shoot, people shoot, shoot who have nothing. Count people. Shoot them. <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. So, are we in our top vote getter? We are ready for the top vote getter. <laughs> the Scribble Monster from Fear. From Fear. Fear. Really? Okay, so I'll, I'll start it again. Please do. I so I just rewatched this one, knowing I was going to have to defend the Scribble Monster. <laughs> Good on you. That's not as bad of a story as I remembered, and the Scribble Monster isn't the issue with the story at all. It's the embodiment of what people have problems with the story. The Scribble Monster, I think, works fairly well because it's the introduction to what's going on here other than the kids being taken away. It's the testing of the powers that this little alien has inside uh, Chloe. So it's, it's testing its boundaries. And so she gets mad and just draws a squiggle and then it becomes a life. And... The fact that they can stop it quickly. The, really, the Scribble Monster is a very small part of the entire story. It really is when you, when you look at it. So, the, the fact that it's in just... In fact, we see what the actual alien is at one point. It's yeah. the little, like, floaty pink things that, you know... Tentacle. Yeah, it yeah, looks like a small Cthulhu with butterfly wings. But. Yeah, kind of. But so, the fact that it's... it's oh, it's, isn't it cute? Yeah. <laughs> it's an introduction to what this thing is trying to do and what it can do. And it allows the Doctor and Rose to help discover more of what's going on. And so in that aspect of it, I don't think it's a bad monster. And it's actually realized fairly well. You get the very quick CGI aspect of it, and then the Doctor shrinks it down, and then it's the actual physical version that they carry around, and it's it looks just fine. If you're going to realize a Scribble monster, that's what it's going to be. I, here, here's what I can say good about the Squiggle monster, is that it is used... Scarcely. No, that, that, that sounds bad. But what I, my point is, is if you had built this entire story and the squiggle monster is your baddie the whole time, yeah, it, it really would destroy the story more so than it already is. It's bad. But as Keith's pointing out, it, it is the manifestation of this little girl's anger and that's what the entity uses. I can't even remember what they called it. He, the doctor had a name for what this yeah, particular thing was. But that's what it uses. That's what it projects. Just in the same way that it, it, it traps the kids and the doctor in the paintings. Or the, uh, and the trying drawings. to manifest her father. Right, and trying to manifest her father in the closet. 
it's it's all based in what this little girl is using at the time. So that we would we when you say the squiggle monster, the squiggle monster is only a small element of the Very devices small. that this entity uses. And so in that aspect I can defend the squiggle monster for being just one small element of what this is. Now Maybe I need to go back and rewatch Fear Her because I remember the whole episode being Squiggle Monster. Here's no, the problem. Yeah, I did too. Here's the problem much. is what we're doing. Are we transposing Squiggle Monster and putting it on the entity in general? That's a good That's question. what could be happening here. Because I think that the problem with the story is that the entity isn't the the doctor doesn't put enough emphasis on the uh, fact that this this thing is not really a villain. No, it's really a a infantile. Well, some of that. Well, but it's an, it's an infant. It is there, but it's not put in there. I think solid is this is an infantile thing that doesn't quite understand and is is latching on to Chloe lashing out on it on her anger and her fear and her you know, those kind of things and amplifying those and utilizing her kind of symbiotically and so that I thought wasn't explored well enough and I think that if that was able to be flushed out a little more maybe I'd have a little more sympathy for the story itself but well, overall it's just and for me, the down the down part of the story is more so we don't get a full explanation. We understand why the thing inside of Chloe is taking all the people. We don't really understand what it's going to do with right. it that's, once they get yeah, them all. That's, and that's what I mean is we don't explore this entity enough to figure out its motivations. It's yeah, I mean, that's, we, that's we know it's problem. lonely, but what is taking all these people in the drawings going to do? How is it going right. to symbiotic? How does that have a relationship its, with yeah, these things? How does it change its predicament yeah yeah the that, episode that, focuses the more on solving the problem than explaining the problem exactly yes. that's exactly right yeah would this make a difference if the same plot had been used as a sarah jane if this was more of a kid orientated show well, it, does, where a, it does deal with some very appropriate kid things for a sarah jane audience especially the loss of a father even if that father wasn't a great one that in and of itself, and not great fathers, enough Sarah Jane material for a whole episode. But then losing that father, and then the mother not being there for the daughter, there's just so much yeah, ripe there. There, there is, yeah. So would that make the difference? Is it maybe I, it's I actually it a pretty some. decent script and it's a pretty decent story? It's just uh, utilized wrong within script, Doctor Who. It's a, it's a de- decent concept. I think Big Finish the, could have done something yeah, amazing probably. with it. The vehicle delivery, I think, is the problem with this. And, yeah. and the fact that, as as Keith pointed out better than I did, that it doesn't really express the motivations well enough, and you adequately put it with the it's more of fixing the problem and not yeah. discovering the would why. this reflect any differently? I don't want to spoil anything, but with some of the themes that Legion has been dealing with in its first yeah, season, yeah, 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 it's really not all it's that good. different no, in a way. Different. It's just it's not much different. Although with Legion, I mean, there's, there's no scribble monster. But with, <laughs> with Legion, there's. You got more time. Yes too. and no. Yeah, but with Legion, you've also got two struggling entities, and not innocence versus conquest. So, yes, maybe, but no, on a whole, probably not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Without spoiling anything. Yeah. No, I just like I said, I want to throw that out there because I agree. I think the nugget of the idea is good. It's just I think maybe it was poorly realized within the confines of the show. 
I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it ultimately because I remember Scribble Monster being Scribble Monster through the whole thing. Yeah, there really was. When you say fear her, I think Scribble Monster. That's the word association that goes on there. And I I didn't even remember that. Oh yeah, we did see them at the end when they came out. No, what is it? The end. It's isn't it kind of you see it several times. Yeah, Yeah. when when it floats from one to the other. In fact, I think when the doctor is describing (laughs) the event first happening to Chloe, you see it kind of come in through the window or something. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you don't see it for very long. It's quick. And she's like looking at it. It's almost more of a glowing light. Really yeah, because it's kind of translucent. Yeah. You sold me it's not the worst. It's not the worst. It's not Cthulhu with butterfly wings. It's more like a jellyfish. With yeah, a, it's, with, it's a bit well, more like jellyfish. Like a stringy jellyfish. Yeah. Yeah. I like Cthulhu with butterfly wings. <laughs> Photoshop little, that. little fairy wand in one tentacle. <laughs> <laughs> that's an image I want. So that's top five then. That's top five. The worst of the worst defended. <laughs> Special. Some of the comments we got on the Facebook one was from Merlin. Since Michael Grade is not on the list and I can't add an option, I call Poland valid. And as we mentioned earlier, Chrissy said, Is Alpha Centauri really a monster, though? Seems like an ineffectual diplomat to me. And Ben said, Lala Ward once said that Tom Baker was the worst monster in Doctor Who. According to Peter Davison's book, to be fair, it was post-divorce for her, and Peter seemed to have an intense likeness for Tom. <laughs> we did have an other, did we? No, we didn't. Oh, we didn't have an other. Mary Whitehouse could have been Mary Whitehouse was on the list. Yeah. That's a horrible, horrible Doctor Who monster. I always look for un- ineffectual. That's, that's, ineffectual that's is a better what, word. Um, that's yeah. what a monster, that's what a the worst monsters are ineffectual. I, I'm not going to sit here and come up with any because... Looking at you, <laughs> next-gen oil slick. <laughs> I, that's just it, though. The ineffectual monsters are the worst monsters. If the intent was well and good, then it's really hard for me to say they are the worst. Yeah. Now, there are issues that, that, that people look at that consider that's why it's the worst. And yes, there are there are problems with rubber appendages, and there are <laughs> issues with, with clunky writing and there is issues but i think we have done a pretty decent job of taking these five and saying here look these are the good points and why they're not as bad as everybody i would agree and if you'd like to hear more write in and let us know yeah or let us know what you think is the worst monsters if you have a counterpoint what did we we miss well if you have a counterpoint to what we're talking about too we'd love to hear that tell us we're wrong what do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Um, this week on Friday Night Who is the first parts of Invasion of the Dinosaurs, featuring some pretty ineffectual <laughs> monsters. Speaking of which... I'm glad we're on the poll now that I've said that. And we're doing the 12th Doctor Titan comics, 11 last, through 15, the yeah, last the batch last of, those. of those. And uh, what's the big finish? Night Thoughts. Night Thoughts. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the replacement Doctor one. Ace and Hex, yeah. And we're actually going back because... Because we, we missed, missed that one. My bad. The next week would be the following parts of the Invasion of the Dinosaurs, yeah. and then... We're doing Third Doctor Titan comics. Third Doctor Titan comic miniseries. And... Assassin in the Limelight. That's, that's right, Assassin. the Sixth Doctor one. All right. Well, uh, of course, you can uh, continue to support this show on Patreon. Uh, if you're already supporting us, we thank you very much. And if you're not, well, guess what? We've got a pledge drive. I mean, uh, we've got a link <laughs> on our website called... Uh, Patreon, you can go there and you can support us. He'll support us and like it. (laughs) On our rotating monthly donation. I think you can also do a one-time donation and then cancel your monthly uh, Mm -hmm. if you'd like. And that helps as well. There are also some links on our website. Not that we encourage that. (laughs) There's also some links on our website we'd like to uh, have you click through as well. If that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. 
No infringement is intended or implied. 